0: Hello and welcome to this week's No Edit podcast. Today's episode is the first in a four-part series called A Spy in Exile. The guest is someone who needs little introduction. But for those of you who don't know who Martin McGartland is, he's a former British agent who infiltrated the ranks of the IRA at the age of 19. Martin McGartland went on to become the IRA's intelligence officer, was passing information back to his special branch handlers on its activities, including shootings, bombings and murders. After his cover was blown in 1991, Martin escaped, kidnapped, torture and death at the hands of the IRA. And despite moving to England under a new identity and living a new life, he again escaped murder after being shot six times outside his Whitley Bay home. Today, he still lives under a serious death threat. He's here to share his story and to talk about the workings of not only infiltrating the IRA, but also how MI5 and Special Branch betrayed him due to the serious threat on Martin's life. This has been recorded over a secure connection, and his voice has been altered to protect his identity. Martin, you're very welcome to today's podcast.
1: You're welcome.
0: We'll start off about where you grew up in Northern Ireland, Martin. Bala Murphy was a staunchly Republican area that was under the control, more or less, of the provisional IRA at that time. Would you say there was a respect for the IRA during that time?
1: Well, to be honest with you, I have always maintained that there was probably more respect for people who were actually born in advance of the actual troubles really kicking off. I was actually born, obviously, in nineteen seventy. So things were actually just really starting off at that point. But um, for, for me, I mean, I didn't. I mean, I've been very, very sort of vocal about this. I never ever had any sort of uh, respect or love or anything for the IRA. I mean, I, I always believed that they were just thugs and they were just obviously causing a lot of sort of hurt, harm and they were car obviously their own communities i mean that's that was always my experience and i mean i I have also always said that that was probably one of the main sort of reasons why i I didn't have any issues about actually like um like beginning to work for special branch that was one of the main reasons i mean i had close friends who were like so badly beaten they were like they were left with like you know um life-changing serious injuries and disabilities. And and to be honest with you, I mean, I know that they were probably involved in like little bits of petty crime. Some of them weren't, but they got really, really, really bodily, bodily beaten. Some of them were shot and others were just terrorized, like on a daily basis, by IRA men who themselves were involved in crime and who themselves were involved like in you know, sort of what I would regard is stuff that goes completely against what the IRA basically uh, would have you believe is like their cause, and obviously, like you know, they would like you to believe that they're completely like pillars of the local community and stuff, and all I mean, and that wasn't my experience growing up in, in West Belfast.
0: I know you're saying that there was no respect on your part. Was there a fear?
1: Honestly, there's no doubt. I mean, I feared them, I feared them. Everybody who lived in. The staunchly Republican areas were very, very, very frightened because they knew what they were capable of. You know, if anybody ever had the misfortune of actually coming into sort of like the contact or actually coming into under the radar of the local IRA, I mean, they would be living virtually like, you know, in total fear. And some people have actually like, you know, been so frightened that they would actually leave Belfast. They'd probably maybe go somewhere else, maybe, I don't know, Antrim, a lot of people who I knew who lived in Belfast actually went, left, and went to Antrim. Because Antrim at that time, in the 1980s, uh, well, 70s and 80s, was more of a sort of like a, um, it was a mixed community. It was Protestant and Catholic. And people went there because they were fear and they thought it would be safe living in Antrim. So, I mean, that started writing people more.
0: Tell me about you growing up in West Belfast. You weren't interested in joining the IRA. But were you involved in any type of criminal behaviour, petty crime?
1: I've always been very, very sort of clear. I mean, I was involved in petty crime as a kid. And I I give loads of examples of things that I was involved in when I was a kid. I mean, from like um, selling stolen goods. I mean, I I used to uh, be friendly with a gang of people who were, uh, I would say, probably maybe 10 years older than me. And they used to travel all around. And what they used to do was they used to go shoplifting. And they used to come back virtually with a bootload, sometimes maybe with a carload of stolen stuff that the shop was did. And I actually used to sell it. And, uh, you know, if they had, say, pairs of bronze banking, new Levi jeans or, you know, I don't know, fancy light switches from like different, like hardware, these big massive hardware stores and stuff, and all, I used to be able to sell the stuff like for half of the actual mark price the shops were selling them for. And I did that obviously for, um, Probably at least a year or two. And I mean, people used to be coming to me and saying, oh, you know, Marty, you know, I'm looking for a pair of jeans for my husband for his birthday or, you know, one of the kids for blah, blah, blah. And they used to come to me and used to say to me, if you get them, come see me right away and I'll buy them. So I was involved in that. I also um, got arrested for um, a burglary of a, um, I think it was the local school. And when they broke into the local school, what happened was they took all the equipment out of it and stuff. And I think it was in the early hours of the morning. And uh we, me and my friends, had been told, all oh, the school's open and stuff and all like that, you know, and all, oh, you know, there's loads of stuff inside there stuff and stuff, now. So we went in, we were taking all stuff out, like little silly things, and you know, all like recorders and all stuff like that and like stuff. I mean, uh, there was nothing really left in the place they actually take, because obviously the people who robbed it actually burst the to it. But I got arrested for stuff like that. And I mean, there, there was all other bits and pieces too. I mean, I also got arrested for trying to actually rob a local postman and you know i got arrested because the army actually see me it. i was a little bit like out of control when i was a kid i mean but i mean see to be honest with the attrition this is me not making excuses i mean growing up in the area where i came from i mean it was like dog eat dog that was my perception perception of like how i actually uh believed that people actually like live from day to day i mean it was very naive but when you're growing up in that sort of an environment I mean. You know, obviously, you, you you do things. Obviously, you look back now and say, "Well, you know, it was stupid," and obviously, it was quite really really bad. And that, uh, you know, stuff that when I look back now, I think, "Well, you know, uh, I wish I could turn back the clock." But obviously, another side of the story, uh, another side of the coin, is to be honest with you, everything that I did do when I was younger, I think it actually like probably like you know made me, you know, um, a lot more sort of like streetwise, and it made me, it prepared me, you know, uh, for the future. I like you know I was somebody who could actually like you know I would say look after myself like handle myself I don't mean like fighting whatever I, I mean but if I ever thought I was in danger I would always be the type of person who could actually like know I wouldn't actually you know be in sort of any serious danger.
0: So how did you view the RUC in the British army then Marty? I know how you viewed IRA but you know were you conflicted in that sense?
1: Yeah, I mean if you grow up in an area where people are or been told oh when well, you know you don't like the police you don't speak to the police you don't like the army you don't speak to them blah blah blah. I I I actually uh grew up with like my mum as an, an an only parent. I mean my my dad actually my mum stood up when I, when I was quite quite young and my mum looked after all of us obviously virtually single handedly and she did a very very good job because I mean at that time she actually had a lot of things going on with other family issues really until like her own obviously, um, family circle. And, I mean, you know, my mum, although she was a Republican and came from a Republican family, I can honestly say, hand on my heart, that my mum never, ever, ever, and I, I can say this without any hesitation, never, ever, ever, I do not believe, ever told me, well, you know, you don't obviously like speak to the army or the police and you don't do this and that. Now, one thing I will say you is, um, I mean, they of the, the our house in the past and stuff and all like that, but I was very, very young. They didn't find anything. But they raided our house, obviously, because of my mum's obviously Republican, sort of like family, sort of like, you know, that that's what they did. The army and the police used to search houses whenever they obviously believed that there may be something in those houses. And I would actually get really angry with the army and the police and stuff and I like that when they did it. But to be honest with you, that was a spur-of-the-moment type thing. But when I grew up, there was times in my life War. I came into contact with the army and also the police. And to be honest with you, they actually helped me. Like, I mean, I don't mean in a sense where, like, you know, help me, uh, you you know, if I was involved in, like, anything to do with, like, crime or whatever. I'll give you an example. When I was a young kid, probably about um, 12, 13 or something like that, me and a couple of other friends used to um, go and take all of the um, beams, like wooden beams, joists, and flagstones out of old, the old tower blocks that were getting dismantled and getting obviously demolished in, in, in the lived. And what happened was when the army was out in foot patrol, because I was so small and because I was like so weak, I was trying to actually borrow flagstones actually along sand because the flagstones had been dug up and it was just a sand base. And one of the army guys, I'll never forget this, he actually put his uh, rifle over his shoulder and he actually took the wheelbarrow and pushed it off the sand. So what I'm saying to you is I looked at them just like as like, I knew obviously they weren't normal. And what I mean by normal was obviously they weren't there obviously like, you know, because obviously like um they wanted to be there or you, you know, they weren't there obviously because like um it was normal to have army basically on your virtual doorstep. I mean, people who lived in, you know, I don't know, Manchester, people who lived in sort of Birmingham, people who lived in London didn't have that. But to be honest with you, I mean, I never, ever, ever had an issue with it i mean they did they did cause me problems then i mentioned that again in the book examples where they sat me and stuff and all and they took stuff out of cars and i remember one uh occasion where one of the actual policemen actually damaged a light in a car and stuff and all like that but i was in stuff and all like that so they used to do to try and provoke obviously a reaction and stuff and all like that but i can honestly say i didn't have any issues with them beyond if i get into some sort of like a off the cuff sort of or on the hoof sort of like um dispute with him. I used to give him both barrels, and I wasn't one bit shy about it. I was very, very sort of, like, capable of like, you know, going, like, you know, having to do also argument with him and stuff like that, and they didn't like it.
0: Martin, you mentioned your mum and your family there quite a lot. You also lost a sister at the age of 12. She was just 12, Catherine, and it was reported that she had fallen through a skylight in school. It must have been absolutely devastating for your family.
1: I was always led to believe that our Catherine had died just in a normal sort of like uh, accident. And the story that I had always believed was that she was on a primary school. I think it was Fear Foster primary school roof. And the story was that she was on there and somebody had writ- written something on the roof. Trying to make out that she was in a relationship with a, a local, um, lab. And she was a bit embarrassed about this. And it was supposed to be that she got onto the roof and tried to rub this off. And, uh, when she was doing that, she actually slipped and fell through a skylight. And that resulted in her death. But, um, that was the story I always believed. But only in recent years, I began to read, uh, articles and newspapers to say that Kathy would have been linked with the women's IRA and, uh, you know, there was, um, stories, you know, going around to say that she was actually on active service on that roof on the day she actually died. Um, it turns out that the, um, uh, Sinn Fein, Adams in particular, actually unveiled a plaque. I think it's in the Ballamurphy state and our Catherine's name is actually on that plaque as a, a, a volunteer of the IRA who actually died. Why not active service?
0: What exactly does active service in the IRA entail for a twelve-year-old girl?
1: Anybody who knows anything about Sinn Fein and anybody who knows anything about the IRA know that they're not stupid when it comes to PR. They're probably like experts on on, on that field. And when I heard what they had actually did in regards to our cafe, I was shocked. But also confused. And the reason why I was confused for they were admitting that a 12 or 13 year old kid a child who who they had virtually groomed, there's no other word for it. They had groomed a a child actually into doing whatever they actually were asking her. And not just her there was other people, there was other young girls and other young boys probably younger than our Catherine and maybe some perhaps a little bit older. But nevertheless, they were—they could never have understood what they were getting involved in or what they were being asked to do. And the most shocking thing about it, you know, of it is the fact that the people who was actually, you know, um, using them and abusing them were actually people who were would have been adults, people who probably had kids of their own and people who actually knew that they were putting them in grave, grave danger. And I can't understand why the IRA, or in particular Jerry Adams, would want to be unveiling a plaque with a kid's name on that plaque. And I think there's probably other young uh, kids on there too, around about the same age, or maybe a bit older. And I can't understand why they would want to actually publicize that. It's, it is, like, really suicidal. I read a story about, it. I think it was about, maybe within the last, maybe two years or something. And that's how I became more and more aware of this. But to be honest with you, I mean, I, I can't believe that nobody's ever actually really picked up on it, really, really, like, you know, um, done a little bit of more sort of, like, you know, um, research and a little bit more publicising
0: it. Has your family ever been told what Catherine was allegedly doing for the IRA on the day she died? Or has it just been described as... Active service, whatever that entails.
1: You know, I'm I'm not joking you, and, and this is harmed on my heart. I actually spoke to family members after I read these stories, and all you know they know is what the IRA had told them. They confirmed one yes, she was in, like a junior woman's IRA.
0: I'm sure your mum, like many mothers, would have sat you down and said, listen. I don't want you joining paramilitaries, I don't want you involved in crime. She'd already lost a daughter. Was that a conversation that ever happened?
1: Yeah, I mean, you know, my mum, honestly, one thing I will say to you, I mean, and I tried to get this across whenever I did the first book, 50 Dead Men Walkman, my mum is one of the most strongest people I have ever met in my life, and I mean, I've always said that, and anybody who has read the book has always said to me you know your mom is comes across as such a crazy way funny sort of like energetic person she would have known if any of us any of her her, her children because i had a brother and also said her sister and other sisters as well as Catherine, and she would have known if any of us was shown any sort of interest in in, in like paramount and stuff and all i mean to be honest with you she also knew that I was actually like always getting sort of like, um, I was involved in like petty crime and stuff and all like that. And she knew that I, I, I hung about were other people who would never ever, you know, even consider like been involved with the IRA and stuff and all like that, or oh, the INLA for that matter. So I don't think that was something that she was ever, ever like concerned about. So I don't think that was something that probably she would ever have any, any, any voice in it.
0: So, 16 you began giving information to the RUC, which was the Royal Ulster Constabulary, the Northern Ireland Police Force at that time. You didn't become an agent then?
1: No. I wasn't, you know, the most important thing is, yeah, I wasn't actually sympathetic to, I wasn't a member of, and I wasn't in any way connected even to anybody in the IRA. I was completely like, not interested in them. I didn't have any involvement with them at all. But when I when I came into contact with this officer, Billy, unknown to me at that time, he was actually being directed by Special Branch. And it was they who were actually like, guiding him and instructing him and pulling his strings to get him to try to get me to go meet them. And that's what actually ended up happening. But what I'm saying to you is, that was obviously, like, when I was, like, 16, 17, probably more likely, like, you know, um, late um, 1996, early 1987, I mean, and around then. But but what I'm saying to you is, at that time, I wasn't involved with the IRA. In fact, the IRA, as I a, as a, as a pointed out previously, like, in, um, like, book and stuff and all like that, I mean, the IRA used to completely crucify me and other people who I knocked about with. And they used to basically like chases with hammers, and that the, they used to basically go to my mum's door and virtually try to get my mum to hand them over, hand me over to them because they thought I was involved in like antisocial behaviour and stuff. Like that. So, I mean, I had a hatred for the IRA right, even at that stage.
0: You mentioned Billy there, Marty, and Billy is the RUC officer who was the bridge to you. Joining Special Branch, more or less, as an agent?
1: That's exactly what happened. And, you know, <clears throat> I, I'm i not exaggerating when I say this. Billy was stopping me at least once or twice a week, sometimes even more. And what happened was, I'll never forget this, he kept stopping me. And it was the usual stuff. What's your name? I give him a name. What's my address? I give him my address. What's your date of birth? I give him a date of birth. Now, that isn't unusual to be stopped by the police or even the army in Ballamurphy. It's not unusual. It happens every day. But when you walk away and say, thank you very much, bye-bye, you walk away, to actually be stopped days later or even the next day by the same officer who I call Balia yeah, to be asked, what's your name, what's your address, what's your date of birth? You think to yourself, is this guy either taking a piss or is he genuinely got something wrong? And he can't remember, he stopped me. he stopped maybe hundreds of people? And I just, you know, I just like, oh, I'm, I'm, I mean, he can't remember me. But when it happens to third, 10 to four ten, now you think, hang on a minute, this just something that right here. And I was getting very paranoid because I knew that, you know, the area where I grew up, Ballamurphy, Moyard, I mean, the IRA, like, you know, they just virtually like, walk around, like, you know, doing day-to-day things, like going to the shops or, popping in to see one of their neighbours or driving to the shops and they drive by and they see someone like me talking to the police and they think, Well what's he talking to them? And then if they drive by another down and talking to the police again think, What what's going on? So I was very very paranoid, but I was really worried because I thought to myself, people may think that I'm actually like, you know, doing up to no good with these people. So I was like really getting a bit annoyed about getting stopped very often by this guy who all I knew's name was Billy, Officer Billy, I called
0: nineteen eighty nine you officially became a special branch agent. What age were you then? I was only
1: 19. Years ago, I didn't really... I mean, I'd done a program for the BBC way back in 1992, within a year of me actually leaving Northern Ireland, and they called that program The Informer. Now, at that time, you know, Most people who do what I do are labeled as informers or for people who are like Republican sort of sympathizers or people who are in the IRA were just known as just pure and simple touts. Now, one thing I want to mention is, right, at that time, whenever I actually did that program, I was happy to accept that label. But, you know, as time went on and I actually started to tell my story more, it became clear to me it, that, you know, informer label, you know, I'm always going to beat hard with that for the rest of my life. It doesn't bother me. But really, when you look at my case in the cold light day, yeah, I was somebody who was not before nor during my, obviously, uh, going into the IRA, actually, uh, you know, a committed member of it. I was actually working for a brunch branch long before they actually encouraged me because I didn't want to do it. They actually encouraged me to actually go inside the IRA, and I was extremely extremely reluctant to do it. But what had happened was, right, I was in a position where I had been working for special banks for almost two years before, from at least 1987 up to 1989, and it was only around that period when they actually encouraged me to actually go inside the IRA as, like, an agent on their behalf. So what happened was, right, There's very, very few people. I mean, people probably don't really appreciate this, but there's very few people either in the loyalist side or the Republican side who have been working for British intelligence, the army, special branch or whoever who were actually not involved before they were either turned or they were actually recruited. 99.9% of people who become informers are already established ruthless either loyalist or republican terrorists who are blackmailed into becoming informers because they don't want to go to prison and that's the, the top and bottom of it the difference between me and them is a huge gulf on some and the reason why that is for us because it's simple as this if you've got somebody who's a terrorist who wants to be a terrorist who's happy to be a terrorist who's happy to do uh, like killings, bombings, shootings, whatever, because that's what they want to do, yeah? If the police come along and say, we've got evidence, we're going to send you to prison for 15, 20 years, and they decide say they don't want to go to prison, they will work for the police, they will work for MI5, but they will never be loyal to them. They will never be loyal to the MI5 or the police, not like someone like me, because I was actually virtually like groomed. I mean, that's what happened. Special Branch actually recruited me at the age of 16, 17, and they virtually groomed me. They knew where they wanted me to be, and they actually basically like pointed me to do certain things, and they gated me to do certain things, and they knew probably even months before they physically actually um recruited me, i.e., when I say months before, whenever they had Officer Billy keeping on stopping me, keeping on stopping me, they knew it was a jigsaw, and the parts were all going to be put together, and they knew what they wanted, of uh, uh, they knew my future help even before
0: I knew what they were up to. We know a lot about your story, Marty, because, I mean, it's taken up so many newspaper articles. You've written two books. Your life was turned into a film, 50 Dead Men Walking, and going by what I've read and seen, it appears that, it was nearly easy for you to infiltrate the IRA and claim those ranks?
1: Do, do you know what, Trish? I'm not joking you. Seriously. I was surprised by that, but you know what? And and I'm not exaggerating when I say this. I keep on repeating the same um, uh, phrase that I'm not exaggerating, but I'm really not. See, when I look back at the way things actually happened and the way my life actually, very quickly, went from somebody who had been involved in petty crime, who the IRA despised, and I despised the IRA, to somebody who actually get into the position that I was in. I look back and think, how the fuck did that happen? But do you know what? The reason why it happened for was because Special Branch made it happen. Special Branch and MI5 know exactly who in the IRA are people who are most of interest to them. And it just so happened and this is the surprising thing to me. When I actually got in with Special Brunch, they were telling me that a person who I had grown up with, now when I say grew up with this person, I just lived in the same area as him, but I used to be a friend of his with a number of other people when I was younger. And they were telling me, now I've named this person in uh, the book continuously, Harry Fitzsimmons. Now they told me that Harry Fitzsimmons was a top IRA bomber. Now, Harry Fitzsimmons has been in prison for a long time. I think he'd done 15 or 16 years for possession of explosives and, uh, weapons and stuff a lot. And he got released under the Good Friday Agreement. So, I mean, exactly like, I mean, it's, it's all, it's all, it's in the book and stuff and all like that. And, uh, I mean, it's also in the public domain. But what they told me was that Harry Fitzsimmons and a few other people who I, I'd seen him in the presence of were top IRA bombers who were heavily involved in massive bomb attacks all over Belfast at that time. And I looked at them thinking, you know, you guys are ob- obviously completely crazy because I knew Harry Fitzsimmons obviously from old. Well, I thought I knew. And it turned out later on that when I actually uh was asked to infiltrate the IRA, what they the special branch had told me was they wanted me to actually try to get friendly again with Harry Fitzsimmons. And because I actually did... Do what they actually asked, and I was very successful at doing that. Yeah, everything just started to like snowball after that. So they directed me towards Harry Fitzsimmons, and Harry Fitzsimmons because he was senior in the IRA. Instead of me climbing up the ladder, Harry Fitzsimmons was already halfway up the ladder, and he brought me into the people who was, he was next to me.
0: It's extraordinary that you were able to infiltrate the IRA without ease. Can you remember your first briefing that you got from Special Branch? I'm sure like everyone else, we all have these images of being taken into a darkened room with two men in suits and suits and being recruited. What was the actual experience like for you?
1: Well, to, to be honest with you, I mean, because I was the type of person who was very streetwise, And because I was the type of person who's always been very mischievous and because I was the type of person who just didn't really give a fuck. I mean, uh, that's the truth. I just didn't care. I mean, I I was the type of person who hobby-go-lucky, you know, and didn't care what I say, didn't care who offended if I thought somebody needed to be offended. And, you know, if I had made a decision to do something and I believed I was doing the right thing, there was nothing or any person on the planet who could actually, you know, prevent me from doing that but when i actually got involved with special brunch i only got involved with them as a result from billy billy had said something to me yeah which really really knocked me for six he said to me on one of the uh final times that me before he asked me to go and see two of his friends he said to me hi uh, i i hear you're uh, taking driving lessons and i actually was taking driving lessons and I didn't know how the fuck he knew this. And he said something along the lines to me. He said, listen, he says, I may be able to help you with that. I've got a couple of friends who will be able to help you. You know, obviously, they do. Be- Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway. Like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And stuff like that. Well, I always wanted to have a car. I mean, I've always, since I was very, very young, I always wanted to get a car and stuff like that. And what Billy had said to me was, right, he wanted me to go meet two of his friends, yeah. And I had to go to Grovner Road, uh, OUC station, which was quite a distance away from me. It was a taxi drive away and then a walk, obviously, of about a mile or two, obviously, you know, well, at least a mile after you get off a of taxi, like, you know, on the Falls Road. And what happened was, I was going to this meeting to meet Billy's friends on the uh understanding that they were going to help me get a driving licence and that was the sort of like the bait that they, they were using something that actually enticed me because they knew that I actually wanted a driving licence. They knew and I don't know how the fuck they knew this, that I was taking driving lessons, and they thought right, and this is why I'm saying you like, notice like, do you ever see a film Trish, called Truman Show? Honestly, my life and probably I, I, I would actually regard this as the same as all the loyalists and all the Republican terrorists, Special Branch, MI5, and the Army also too. Everything that was happening in Northern Ireland, they knew roughly what was happening, who was involved, but they just didn't have all the parts of the jigsaw so to be able to, you know, do what they would like to do. Actually, stop everything, you know, arrest everybody, blah blah blah. But honestly, they knew every fucking thing, even back then. So, so long story short was, right, when I went to the first meetings with these people, yeah, yeah they more or less told me, we can help you get a fucking driving license. That's what special ones told me. See, when they told me that, I thought, fucking Jesus Christ, how amazing. Cause to be honest with you, I was worrying myself fucking sick about going for a driving test cause I was thought, oh, you know, I'm going to fail cause I'm going to be around nervous or I'm going to fail because I'm not good enough for a blah, blah, blah. But they, they, they convinced me that they were going to help me get a driving license.
0: And did they help you get a driving licence, or was that a ruse?
1: Well, <laughs> the reason why I'm laughing for it was because when I went, they were telling me, oh, you know, we're going to get you into driving They were even telling me, all you know, through the name of the person who was going to take me at my driving uh, test and stuff and all. I'm sure from memory it was somebody called Cunningham, I mean, don't quote me, but I'm sure they say it was someone called Cunningham. And I went from a fucking driving test thinking, really right, I just have to get in this car. I just have to drive. He's going to hand me a bit of paper and I'll say, thank you very much, walk away. I went from a fucking driving test. There was no Mr. fucking Cunningham. And when I went back to the special, this says, oh, he was on his day off. It was all out of balls, Trish. It was mm-hmm. all out of balls. What yes. they were doing was, they were hoping I just went and passed my fucking test. And they would have winked at me and says, I told you well enough.
0: Looking back now, do you feel that you were groomed by the RUC and special branch?
1: No doubt about it. And I'll tell you another thing too. And I've only came to this realization in the past couple of years, and it really saddens me to say this, but I now regret it. And I must have God, if you'd have told me that I was going to say these words to you Nan, in an interview that I'm about to say, I would have just said, you're fucking absolutely crazy. Definitely not. But I'm telling you here and now that because of what I have actually found out over the last couple of years, and because of the way I've been treated during the past, say, 20 years, yeah, more so over the past four or five years, right, I really, really, really regret ever, ever becoming involved with a, a special branch at MI5. But one thing I will say and I mean, I spoke a great deal about an OEC handler in uh, the book called Felix. Now, one thing I'll say to you I yeah, in my mind, he and other people like him in the special branch were, and some people won't be able to accept this, but I don't give two fiddlers fucks. I'm speaking to you as honest as I could possibly can be, yes, right? Them people saved thousands of people's lives. I don't just mean Phoenix, and I don't just mean um the people who dealt with me. I mean the good guys in the special branch, because there were good guys to fish. Really good guys. But you know what happened? MI5 came along, and when they decided that Marty is going to be no more, or Marty has outlived his usefulness, or Ray Gilmore has outlived his usefulness, or Willie Carlin has outlived his usefulness, or Dennis Donaldson has outlived his usefulness, except, 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 they decide that, you know, they're going to pull the rug for Mundy and they don't give a fuck if it means you're going to either be kidnapped you're going to be tortured to death and you're going to be murdered. They don't give two fiddlers fucks because they want to move on to the next Marty. They want to move on to the next Ray Gilmore. They want to move on to the next Willie Carland and Captain Foote, etc, cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And that's what they do. They are absolutely devious cunts, but not the, the handlers. The handlers are just doing their job. It's their fucking bosses. Their bosses are absolutely fucking devious, rotten, horrible fucking people.
0: So it's clear that you have good words to say on your individual handlers who at that time made you feel safe and protected. You would need to have been made to feel safe and protected because the levels that you were operating at within the IRA as an agent were... Serious, you started off in security in the IRA before moving on to become a lieutenant within its Belfast intelligence unit. What did that involve?
1: Special Branch had me on my own going into the heart of Republican areas going to IRA weapons and explosive dumps, taking out IRA weapons and explosives and ammunition, bringing them back to meet Special Brunch. We all traveled back to Castle Ray. We were sitting around waiting while the MI5 and the Army and other Specialist people did what they were doing. And what I presume, what what, what I mean by that was, they were actually, the weapons that I brought to them from an IRA dump, they were carrying out ballistic tests on their weapons to see how many people have been used, if any, uh to be uh killed previously. So if they've ever been used in shootings previously. They also actually um, you know, uh, neutralized the explosives. They could neutralize explosives. I was told they were injecting it with a chemical and sandpacks explosives was virtually fucking like it was like punch. It wasn't like, it would never blow up. They tampered and they sabotaged detonators so they're never going to blow up. And they actually even doctored weapons and bugged weapons so they could put a bug on a weapon, maybe a rifle or something, or do something with it. So when I put it back in the dump, when it moved away from me to another IRA dump, they moved the stuff and they watched it going from A to B to C, and then they would have went and they would have recovered it and arrested people. But what I'm saying to you is, when I look back at what I did, and what they expected me to fucking do, I think to myself, you must have been absolutely fucking living in a completely different fucking planet, because the stuff that i done, I was walking through fucking streets in the dark at night, in the early hours of the morning, with whole dolls full of weapons and explosives to take at the special branch, and MI5, to be doctored, and all them other things that I just told you there to be done with it, right? And then I had to bring it all back again. And sometimes the special branch used to actually fucking uh, pull little pranks on me and stuff. And I, I mean, I'll give you an example of this. They thought it was funny, but I really, really panicked. One of the IRA bombs that I brought the special branch it was an undercard baby trap. And what the IRA did with it was when they when they constructed the same tax bombs, it was a small, small. They called it a charge of sandpacks—one and a half pounds of same tax And what they done was they actually implanted. A, a magnet in the syntax and what happened was it had like a small wooden sort of box on the actual device with a um a timing device and also a mercury tilt switch inside it and all the electronics but what they what they did was because when they put it under a car what they done was they they covered it with black tape and solution tape so when somebody looked onto their car they prayed that they might have thought it looked like just the underside of the car 'Cause obviously Santax is like an orangey sort of like a yellowy coloured um substance. And all this black tape and uh obviously like was all covered in the, the bone. <laughs> and when they gave it back to me after I went into fucking castle waivers, one of the wires or something, there was a there was a very distinctive wire and uh, and also tape. And what they used to fucking do was they used to change the colours of the wires and tape and all and say, Oh Marty, we're very sorry that wire fell off, or you know, we didn't have enough black fucking tape. And they may put green tape on or yellow tape over. And I used to be beside myself, but they thought it was fucking funny. And it was all like that was all all they thought it was a bit of humor. But fuck me, I I, I was the one who had to get back with all this stuff to put it back in the IRA dump. And the person who constructed that, if they seen anything that didn't look right, then they think, well, how huh, you know, who was who who's been tampering with this? And then people like me and other people would actually be fingered. So they used to be like a little bit sort of like fucking uh crazy special parts the way they used to do things.
0: So you're telling me that you were going to IRA dumps, taking weapons, transporting bombs, taking them to Castle Ray, bringing them back again. I mean, apart from the obvious fear of being caught doing this by the IRA, were you not worried that they were going to go off? Of course I was. Listen,
1: look, you know... <laughs> When I sit now, I, when I close my eyes now, yeah, when I close my eyes and I have that conversation with you, I think of demolition, man, fucking basically, you know, um, a bomb disposal, fucking sort of like whatever. That, that's what I was actually being used to as. I mean, that bomb could have went off prematurely and killed me. And no doubt if it had gone off, the newspapers the next day would have been, IRA, man, killed, terrorist blows himself up. No one would have ever known that I was actually fucking bringing the stuff to Special Branch in MI5 to actually try to fucking prevent life being taken. And this is the whole point. This is the way they work. And I, I go back to what I say. The people who I work with, the people in Special Branch who were handling me, yeah. I haven't got a bad word to say about them people. Hand them hard. I'm, I'm wise enough to know that they're just doing their fucking job. It's like any, any employment. If you're a journalist and you have to work under the direction and control of an editor, the deputy editor, or people on up the fucking chain, if you begin a story that's toxic and they've got some reason why they don't want you to actually do that story, they will make your life a bit of a fucking sort of like misery and they'll do things that obviously aren't, you know, to your benefit, stuff and like that. Oh, so absolutely, I know that yeah. yeah, exactly. So what I'm saying is, I know for a fact and any other walk of life like fucking somebody who's basically working for like a civil servant or something like that they will not actually allow them to do something that goes contrary to what they what their main sort of motivation is and what I'm saying to you is right the people who was harming me done their best but what happened was I mean just to jump a bit forward and I'll come back when Ian Phoenix died he was killed in a Chinook sh- helicopter crash. for Christ. Ian Phoenix ran uh, TCG, Carson Coordination Group, yeah, and now they were involved in all the fucking surveillance and stuff and all like that, right? And what happened was Ian Phoenix mentioned in his book, well, it was mentioned in his derries, yeah, he mentioned me, Carl, me, was one of the Special branches best spies. I think it was in 1990 or 1991. But what happened was, right, the reason why he fucking said that for was because he knew all the stuff that I had actually done I was doing fucking everything that Special Branch asked me to do on some. I'm not the type of person who just basically does things half-hearted. I'm fucking all in. And what happens is really I go beyond the fucking call each and every time because I believed in what I was doing. But you know what? That was the reason why I, I ended up in the position that was because I was doing fucking too much. And I was more interested in pleasing Special Branch, pleasing MI5 than I was looking after my own fucking safety.
0: Your safety was in grave, grave danger for a number of reasons. You were in the heart of the IRA, working with highly skilled IRA officers, including Rosanna Brown, who's a well-known IRA member. You were in the IRA's active service unit, A position that is very, very hard to get and to claim to with an IRA. I mean, you must have been respected with an IRA to get to those positions and to work with those people.
1: It's nothing to do with being respected. It's more to do with, obviously, I honestly do think that they genuinely like me. I think what happens is if somebody takes a leg into you and if they actually think that you're like sort of like genuine and they think that they can trust you, uh, uh, there's no reason why anybody else couldn't do the same. I mean, pe- other people have done what I did after me. And one thing I want to say to you here, and I mean on the subject of, of, of Rosanna Brown, I mean, uh, you know, I actually, uh, Rosine Brown, I mean, and, uh, you know, other people like, say, D V Adams too. I get on really, really well. Then I mean, I've said this before. Davy Adams is a relative Jerry Adams. Davy Adams is one of the most nicest people I've ever ever met in my life. Some people may say, fucking Jesus Christ, that's the top and bottom of it, right? And you know what? That made me conflicted. Another reason why I got myself in so much shit for it, right, it was because I was trying to keep these people out of prison. I was arguing with special branch every other fucking month, telling them, if you arrest any of them in jail, I'm fucking stopping working for years, And I even said it one, once or twice that I was actually going to leave Northern Ireland and I, I wasn't going to work for them anymore. And I really, really did. And no doubt that they would have sent that message back. And that was probably another reason why they fucking basically, like, you know, decided that, that you know, whenever I was going to get, when I was going to be kidnapped, which you'll we'll speak about later on, I think they thought just leave them. let the come, go and fucking wrap them What happened was I was actually telling them that I wasn't happy that they were going to arrest people based on Anything that I may information that I may have given against them, because you know, you know, people may think this is a bit fucking crazy, but let me be frank with you here, right? The way I looked at it was right. I done what I did, hand on heart, because I did never agree with any form of terrorism. I, I didn't then. I don't now. I will always go to agree with the same sort of like uh, principles. I don't believe in it. Nobody should actually have their life shortened. Irrespective of whether a policeman, a, a, a pretty soldier, a civil servant, or somebody who they, they regard as a le- legitimate target, and I mean loyalists or Republicans, right? If I think someone's going to be, uh, you know, targeted tomorrow, and I thought I could do something, this I would do it. And you know what? The sad reality is, I would like to think that most other people would do the same, same thing. But, you know, to me, I was in a situation where I said to special once, look, I am giving you information, which is preventing things from happening. Be happy with that. Don't be putting me in fucking danger. Don't be doing things that are actually going to direct attention to me. Bring me under suspicion because the minute that you arrest somebody, people are going to say, well, it must be him or it may be her and it could also be him. In an active service unit, you've only got a small group of people who can actually be suspects and people who could have passed on that information. So to me, special bonds were a little bit reckless, like often and i always said to them that i would not be happy for them to actually be arresting people because i genuinely did i actually you know i wouldn't have been able to live with myself if they had got arrested but one other thing i'll say to you about this naming i know that the same people who i was trying to keep out of prison were fucking ruthless people who would shoot somebody as quick as they would look at them but you know what that's not my problem that's their life if they decided that they want to join the IRA, if they decided that they want to put their lives, uh, you know, in jeopardy and put their liberty in jeopardy, that's their fucking problem. Nothing to do with me. I've been asked to pass on information that's going to actually prevent, uh, obviously, people been targeted, people have been bombed, people have been shot. And that's what I did. I didn't sign up for to be run the around fucking getting every person who I come into contact with. Arrested and put in prison for 20 or 30 years, known full well that they've got families, and their families obviously are innocent people. I was very, very, um, vocal to special branch, particularly about Harry Fitzsimmons. Harry Fitzsimmons had had two young kids and a wife, and people will go, ah, oh, well, so fuck, he was involved in terrorism. Yes, he was involved in terrorism, but you know what? His family didn't have a choice. His family wouldn't have wanted him to be involved in terrorism, but the top and bottom of it is, they were the people who had to suffer when he and other people like him out of prison. And that's the reason why I couldn't actually like swallow the pill of actually me being in any way involved directly or indirectly than somebody probably ended up in prison.
0: And that is one of the most fascinating and complex things about the position that you were in because you were working with people that you probably liked and to some extent you maybe would have understood why they took the path they did. Was that something that you found hard to juggle?
1: Do you know what and I mean this: people listening to this interview will be thinking, this guy is contradicting himself. And I'm going to say, no, I am not. And the reason why I'm saying that, of course, for this reason, I am absolutely pretty clear, right, that, terrorism, whether it's the UVF, the UFF, U- U- the INLA, or the I- I- IRA, or Al-Qaeda, whoever, yet, yeah. I do not, in any shape or form, actually sympathise or, you know, in any way support, or I can't even bring myself to even, like, think well you know maybe maybe you know maybe something happened to their families and maybe you know somebody may have been shot or bombed and they probably say that well that's their way of getting you know getting revenge or whatever I can understand people's uh, uh, mindset wanting to do that but for me yeah the top and bottom of it is right I wouldn't hurt a fucking fly like most other people I'm one of these people and I always was Not, not so much now because obviously my mental health and my physical health are so bad and have been for quite some time, where my life is completely... It's, it's like a, a 360 reverse of what it used to be. But but when I was actually there, I was the type of person where I was happy-go-lucky, always joking about, having a laugh. If i seen somebody who was getting... Uh, y- you know, somebody who was in a little bit of... Uh, you know, they were having hard times, or somebody who was, like, in a bit of difficulty, I would be one of the first people to try and help them. And, I mean, I could never, ever, ever imagine me ever been in a position where I actually could stay silent Have I thought that somebody was going to go to bed on a Monday evening, waking up the next morning, give their wife a kiss and their kids a kiss, walk to their car, get into the car and get blue to pieces. I couldn't do it. Right's right, right wrong's wrong. Evil is evil. As far as I'm concerned, I mean, anybody who could Like, go to their bed at night, knowing full well that they can sleep with, uh, uh, you know, the knowledge of, they know that they've got information that would prevent somebody from actually, like, losing their life. And some mother losing a son, some sister losing a brother, etc, etc. I couldn't do it, Trish. I just couldn't do it. And, And that's the reason why, actually, I was never conflicted. I didn't want them to go to prison and I did everything I possibly could to make sure that it wasn't done in my name, but the special branch had got other sort of like uh, agendas, but as far as I was concerned, that probably put me in a far, far worse position, because I think the special branch thought, we're not letting Marty McGarden dictate to us, and that's what I think happened. They probably thought, we're not letting him dictate to us, he works for us, we don't work for him.
0: You obviously became a problem for special branch, and I think it's Obvious from this conversation, why? How did you end up, or or how did they nearly end up making you the sacrificed lamb?
1: I mean, it all goes back to what I mentioned about um, Ian Phoenix. The fact that Ian Phoenix, who was so senior, and he was in charge of TCG, obviously North, which is like all Belfast and stuff and like all that. The fact that someone like him actually mentioned me and spoke about me and spoke about operations that I had actually prevented speaks volumes. And I remember another thing too. John Ware, who worked for Word in Action, Panorama, and uh, Rough Justice, and many other... Um, national BBC sort of like um, television programs. He's a very, very well-respected and established sort of like um, journalist. I think he's an award-winning journalist. And John Ware had spoken to, because when he was doing a program on me back in 1982, John Ware actually went to speak to all his contacts. And he actually mentioned, there's there's a newspaper article, I think from memory, I've got a copy of it, but I think it was The Independent. And John um, wrote an article, I think it was in 1997, and the reason why I wrote this article for was because, one, he had already done the story, The Informer, on me in 1992, and two, he'd done that article as a result of the court case back in 1997 that led to me being exposed and later led to me being shot by the eye around the mainland, which we'll speak to you about later on. But what John, John Ware said in there, and the reason why I mention this is significant, is because John Ware mentioned that he had actually been told by Bran Simons, who was the head of Special Brunch. Bran Fitzsimmons was later killed also in the Chinook helicopter crash with Ian Phoenix. And Bran Fitzsimmons had told John Ware, and John Ware repeated this in that article, that Marty McGartney was a very productive agent. That is the problem. I actually did too much. I was too busy. I was basically all in. And the top and bottom of it was, I had two masters. One was MI5 and Special Branch, because the both of them were as one, and the other was the IRA. But at all times, from the very beginning, without hesitation or favour, I was always 100% completely loyal to Special Branch, MI5, on the State. And the reason why I was loyal to them for is because of my principles and because, you know, the reason why I agreed to work for them for was because I despised terrorism, irrespective. If I had been a, a, a Protestant on the Shankar Road and had been doing the same thing against the UVF and others, the top and bottom of it was it just so happens that I was born on the other side. Of obviously the debate, and I was born brought, brought, brought up in a Republican sort of like area of Belfast rather than Ulster area of Belfast.
0: Tell me about some of the things that you were involved in with the IRA. That special branch were fully aware of. Were you involved in punishment beatings? Were you involved in attacks? Were you involved in murder?
1: I was in a position where um, I actually, like at the very start, I was actually been encouraged by Special Branch to actually make myself available to people who they were identifying to me. Now, what they were doing was Special Branch were actually showing me montages because what you need to remember here is right at that stage, because I wasn't involved with the IRA, because I didn't really give two fiddlers about the IRA. Because I wasn't actually, like, you know, interested in the IRA, the only people who I knew was in the IRA were people who were fucking terrorising me and my friends. But apart from that, and when you go into the actual organization as a whole, I would have known very little or very few people who was connected with the IRA. And the special branch, what they were doing was, they were showing me photograph montages continually. At every single meeting, showing me people who lived in the area where I actually, like, frequented. So I would have been the contact with these people, probably if it was passing them in the street or if it was like going to the shops or whatever, whatever. And it came to a stage where they had actually, you know, went over this so many times with these photographs, these montages. I actually got to know all these people virtually like off by heart. People who had never met before, people who I didn't even fucking know before. They actually said to me that if you get any opportunity, yeah. Whatever it is, if they ask you for a lift because you're going to be driving a car or if it's because maybe they may see you in a local club and they ask you to do them a favour, you do it and you actually try to win their trust. And that's how I got into a position where people actually started. They were coming to me. I wasn't really going to them. They were coming to me. And, you know, Special Branch again, what they done was Special Branch had virtually not my entire lifespan, from the minute they decided Billy was going to actually introduce himself to me, to ask me, "Oh, you know, we're going to help you with some driving, for driving lessons. You can go and meet some of my friends," blah, blah, blah. From that moment, they had mapped out exactly what they knew they were going to actually ask me to do, how they were going to do it, and they knew everything. So, the time I actually went and I came into contact with some of these people who I knew were in the IRA, those people at that stage knew that I had a car and people had cars, but obviously people, you know, like me, who was like living in areas in Baltimore at my age, you know, not a lot of people had cars, maybe families and stuff at you all, know, maybe husband and wives who had jobs and blah, blah, blah. But I had a car and special branch knew by me having that car, people would want me to actually like, you know, do them favours. And that's how I become involved. With people who was involved in punishment beatings, they asked me to drive them around, and I mentioned this in the book. And what they were doing was they were going around getting people who were like uh, involved in antisocial behaviour, similar things that I was involved like years before. And what they were doing was they were going around targeting these people. So I was actually being used as a driver. So to answer your question, yes, I was driving people around who I knew were in the IRA, whose special branch asked me to actually like you know, transport them around, blah, 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 blah. And, you know, as well as that, yeah, it later transpired that I was also in a position where I was actually going to become involved in, um, you know, intelligence. Uh, you know, my, my, one of my main positions in the IRA was mostly intelligence. So I was actually asked to go out by senior people in the IRA to actually, like, you know, do ruckies and gather intelligence on operations for like maybe shootings, bombings, undercarpet wheel traps that were going to happen in the weeks to come of the months, obviously, you know, in the future.
0: You've explained quite a lot there, Marty, of what you were involved in, but to make it more direct, were you involved in murder within the IRA whilst under the control of special Branch? <laughs>